Tonight's episode is about scene structure. Smiley Bob asks, what constitutes a scene in a book? I've tried to find a definition, but the definitions I found were vague and unhelpful. Well, of course they're vague and unhelpful, because when you ask a writer, what's a scene? They're going to be like, um, uh, uh, which is exactly what I did when you asked me. I went, uh, um, um, and then I just stared at my computer, and, I, and then I really thought about your question and um, what it really means um, to me as a writer, uh, the structure of a uh, of a scene and of a chapter and of a book. And what it boils down to is that a scene is an event within your plot. These events group together create chapters, and the chapters group together create books. And I wish you guys could see almost see me, not really, because I haven't even brushed my hair in the last, I don't know, six hours, and I drove around town with my windows down because it's beautiful today. Um, so my hair, I don't like Phil's Diller, I swear. I swear it's terrible. Anyway, when she was young and cute, sort of. Was she ever cute? I mean, that's ugly. That was an ugly thing for me to say. Really, really ugly. I take it back, Phyllis. Of course you were cute. Of course you were. Um. Anyways, I do look like I stuck my finger in a light socket. That's no lie. Uh. So, um. But anyway, what I was saying is, I was moving my hands around like I was building a little uh house over here for you guys for your structure for your scene um when you're creating when you're planning your scenes for your chapters i depending on the length of my chapters and depending on the length of my book um will determine how many scenes are in my chapter and sometimes scenes are short and sometimes scenes are long um Pretty close, pretty close. Um, Lady Holder put a picture of Phil Stiller in the chat room, and I am not going to link it on the podcast. I'm not. But, yeah, that's pretty much how my hair looked when I got out of the car today. Because uh, I have naturally curly hair, and, of course, I, I live in the South, and there was a little humidity, and I didn't blow dry out today. I just put a little um, conditioner in it and left. And I could not actually put a comb through my hair right now. I would have to wet my hair down in order to comb through it because my hair is so curly. Um, I have that much natural curl. And most of the time, I um, I tend to blow dry it so that it's um, mostly straight. So when somebody sees me with my natural hair, they're like, what the fuck? What happened to your head? <laughs> Anyways... Um, back to the scenes so it's very difficult and you get vague answers about what a scene is um, because no writer approaches it the same way and this is how I approach my my scene structure for instance if I'm going to write a 75k novel I'm going to define I'm going to divide my book into Roughly um, 5K chapters, so that's 15 chapters. Um, and the 5K, I would pro- I would do uh, probably three scenes. 
So each one of my um, chapters is going to have three events. And in these events that I'm going to structure very carefully, they're going to answer a bunch of questions for your reader. And if if you're not answering questions for your reader, and if your scene is not furthering your plot, and if your scene actually isn't an event, you need to ask yourself, does this scene belong in my book? All right? So when you're building a scene, you need to know where the scene's taking place, when the scene is taking place, who is in the scene, and why you need the scene in your chapter or in your short story or in your plot. Why does this scene matter? What is your reader going to get out of this scene? If they're going to get nothing, it's a vanity and you need to cut it. You're just in love with your words and that's fine. As long as you're keeping those words to yourself. But when you start giving them out to the rest of the world, you need to um, respect your craft and respect your reader's time. And no, really, really, Steinbeck, we didn't need a whole chapter dedicated to a fucking turtle crossing the road. We really didn't. I hope that turtle died a terrible, terrible death. You made me hate a turtle, Steinbeck. I hope you feel good about yourself. Anyways. I had a moment, sorry. I was a little bitter. I got over it, sort of. I get that it was a metaphor. I get it. It was just a stupid metaphor. That's not a... Be careful with your metaphors when you're um, creating um, uh, mirrored characters and mirrored situations in your work. It's important not to uh, slap your reader in the face with it. I think a lot of people didn't really get the fact that in Sentinels of Atlantis, Andy is a mirror to John's character. So John is in Atlantis and Andy is on Earth. And Andy has um, very similar gifts to John. He, um, um, he's also a prime in that verse. And so Andy exists as a mirror in the Shepherd family where Patrick did not deal well with John. Um but he's got a second chance with Andy to to make that right, to create a situation where uh, he can keep his family and, and bring his family back together and um, have something solid for John to come home to. And so that's what that mirror is. And so when you're creating metaphors, and a lot of times you do a metaphor like uh for instance, all the packing in the um, unedited version of The Princess Bride, or I guess it was edited, but it wasn't edited very well, where Princess Buttercup spends like three chapters, maybe six, I don't know, it could be 20 chapters, I don't know. She packs a lot. And what it is, is it's a metaphor. She's packing away her life and her dreams and sacrificing this her love, her dreams, her future, to marry Prince Humperdinck. I get it. We didn't need six chapters of this, dude. We really did not. 
We didn't need to spend a whole chapter on that fucking turtle. I get it. The turtle was crossing the road. It was a metaphor for the family crossing the fucking continent. I get it. I get it. You don't need to to slap your reader in the face with it. You really don't. So, sometimes you will have parts of a scene or part of a chapter that is more a service to the theme of your story than anything else. And while I'm not asking you to summarize, no, um, I am asking you to be careful and not get trapped in that ideology that... um, Okay, this is going to sound terribly rude, and I don't care. Um, there are people who who write a a a sense of importance into their work, um, an art, uh, literature writers who 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 think they're better than other writers out there, romance writers, science fiction writers, fantasy writers, just genre writers in general, they're just better than the rest of us because they're writing literature. And when you encounter somebody like that, point blank ask them, when's the last time you got published? Because they don't get published. They really don't. Literature writers do not get published in today's market. Unless they self-publish. Because nobody buys that stuff. And the only reason we buy the classics is because they make us in high school. And in college. I never would have read Grapes of Wrath on my own. Who would have? No one. No one would have read that shit by themselves if they had a choice. (coughs) A Tale of Two Cities? I can name three adults in my life who read A Tale of Two Cities because they wanted to. And I know hundreds of people in real life and hundreds more online. And I, so no. Um, your goal as a writer is to entertain and um, to to present your ideas in a in a fluid and natural kind of way that's not jarring or misleading to your reader. So uh, go easy on your metaphors. But regardless, in your scene structure, once you've established where it's taking place, when it's taking place, who's in it, and why this scene has to happen, what is happening in this scene that's important to your plot, Then you have to structure your beginning, your middle, and your end. In the beginning, um, you ease your reader into the event that's taking place, whether it's a conversation, whether your characters are going somewhere, or you're being introduced to something. Um, Whatever's going to happen, you have your lead in, your beginning, um, and then you move into your middle, and then... At the end of the scene, you have resolution to the event. Not resolution to your entire plot, but resolution to the event. An example of that would be um, if you're 
your scene is your characters moving from one place to another. They're traveling. So the event itself is perhaps them getting in the car and moving from one place to the other, you know, just depending on how their travel is going to be. Um, and you don't want to spend uh, a whole bunch of time in your chapter on that kind of um, event work, like just actual physical travel, because that's really boring. Unless you're writing a road trip story, and then you have to put a lot of effort into that. That's just pure dialogue, really. And um, so that's a whole different ball of wax. Your resolution for your scene should support the scene that directly comes after it. Your scene itself should be structured in such a way that it is supported on either side with the scene before it or the scene after it. So you're building, when you're building your book, you, you start with that first scene. And that, that that's why that first scene is so important. That's why your first line is so important. Because it is the foundation on which you will build the rest of your book. And if your first scene falls flat, you've lost your reader less than a thousand words into your story and you may not get them back. So that's why your first scene is so important because the rest of your book is going to be built on it. And if your foundation is weak, your house is going to fall apart. So your first scene you build in the second scene in your book is built on the first information that you have given your reader in your first scene travels into your next scene and then in your next scene and then in your next scene so you're building one little scene block at a time as you build your your book so think of your scenes as blocks and you need to determine how many blocks will be in your chapter now, your chapter also must have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Even if you end your chapter on a cliffhanger, which honestly, um, I don't recommend. Doing it once in a book is okay. Doing it repeatedly in a book makes your reader want to punch you in the face. Don't be that writer that makes your readers want to punch you in the face. It's going to make going to conventions really difficult for you. Because you might get punched in the face for real. You might get hate mail. Just imagine how much hate mail Nicholas Sparks gets. I mean, just imagine. Because he lures you in with that beautiful romance and then he kills somebody every single fucking book. And he has to get a great deal of disappointed reader email. Even though going into a Nicholas Sparks book, you know what's going to happen. Nicholas Sparks books aren't a surprise to you anymore. They shouldn't be. Neither are his movies. You see one of his books, you know automatically someone's going to die. But some of you still pick them up anyway. And then you get really attached to the characters and you get really attached to the plot. And then when somebody dies at the end, it's wretched. And you have only yourself to blame, but you're not going to blame yourself. You're going to blame Nicholas Sparks. And you may or may not send him an email about it, depending on how crazy you are. I've never sent Nicholas Sparks an email. I'm not that crazy. 
I did send Stephen King a letter once. I had read, um, gosh, I'm not sure if it was The Stand or Tommyknockers, and it was just like one page, and all it had on it was, holy shit. And then I signed my name, and I sent it to Stephen King. I hope he kept it. <laughs> I hope he was at least amused by it if he ever saw it. <laughs> holy shit. I'm pretty sure it was The Stand. <laughs> Anyways, in your structure of your story, when you're when you're building your blocks, if you have a weak scene, you have a weak block, and it makes the entire structure um, fragile. So you want your scenes to be solid. You want it to be clearly defined where they are, when they are, who's in the scene, and why the scene is taking place in your book. What purpose does it serve? If you can't answer these four parts going into a scene, do not write the scene until you can answer these four questions. Where, when, who, and why. This is super important. If you're just going to go off willy-nilly, and just write, 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 then you're really, this this isn't a subject for you to begin with, because um, this is not a pantser's technique. I I think that you have to, um, pantsers have to approach this after they write. They have, probably during rewrites is when most of this work activity would take place for a pantser, when they have to figure out, if the scene's going to stand on its own, is it solid? Is it moving? Is it moving the plot? Is it moving your characters? Is the movement of your character in the scene true to your character throughout the book? Because if your character is moving funny in one scene um, and the rest of the book, they're totally different, then you have to ask yourself, what is it about the scene that's making your character move weird or speak weird or have weird motivations that aren't part of your story. So you just have to pay attention to your four questions. Where, when, who, and why. And now the why is a big one because the why can encompass both internal and external motivations when you're speaking to um, your character's movements in a scene. For instance... The scene in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone when Dumbledore wakes Harry up after everything is over and Harry asks about Hermione and I think he asks about Ron and then he asks about the professor, Quirrell, Quirrell, um, and he asks about the stone. Now, throughout this scene... The first time you read the book, you're there with Harry, and you're curious, too, and you don't know. But after you've read the whole series, you come back into this scene, and this is when you realize just how manipulative Dumbledore is going to be throughout the series. He reveals himself to the reader, especially an experienced reader who's already read the whole series, exactly how much 
he's willing to sacrifice. And if you think about it, in first scene, in the end of the Philosopher's Stone, you are basically told that Dumbledore is prepared to sacrifice Harry Potter. Knowing what we know about magical travel and also establishing that not once throughout the rest of the book, the books, the whole series, is it mentioned that Dumbledore would ride a broom. Dumbledore's extended absence from Hogwarts in the first book makes no sense. He left on purpose to expose the stone so that Harry, who had figured out all the parts because of Hermione and Ron, they'd all figured it out. Harry was ready to be tested. And he left an 11-year-old in the hands of the darkest wizard of their time. And that's when you know, after you've read the whole series and you're looking at the scene, this is when you realize just how fucked up Dumbledore is. Not only is he lying to Harry, he's misleading Harry, he's testing Harry, and he is absolutely willing to sacrifice an 11-year-old to Voldemort off chance that a prophecy Now, see, that's the kicker about the prophecy. Nowhere in the prophecy does it guarantee that Harry will win. So, Dumbledore is gambling with Harry Potter's life from practically the moment of his conception. And he leaves him vulnerable when he is 11 years old with just this flimsy prophecy in place that does not guarantee him victory. So when you look at this scene with innocent eyes, you think he's protecting Harry. But when you look at this scene as it's structured on the whole series, you realize that Dumbledore is manipulating Harry. So you have to take into account reader perspective when you're building your scenes because you have to wonder if that was J.K. Rowling's intention. Did she mean to make Dumbledore look that manipulative and evil? Was, was that part of her plan? Or was that just an accident? Because she didn't take into account perspective of her readers as they're growing and maturing and rereading their series. If they're rereading the books, they approach... the world that Harry lives in from a very different perspective. (laughs) And so you have to take into account perspective when you're creating your scenes. If you don't want your 
character to be assigned motivation is that you don't mean for them to be assigned. Because I don't believe that J.K. <clears throat> that J.K. Rowling ever meant for us to think that Dumbledore was the manipulative old evil wizard. That was never her intention. She never intended, I don't believe, for Dumbledore to be as dark as we perceive him to be. But she built scene after scene after scene with not without paying um, attention to the uh, the build-up and the consequences and the perception of her reader as her reader grew and changed um, and what looks like protection turns into betrayal and manipulation. So, You create uh, your reader is always going to read between the lines, and you can't control their perceptions. You literally, I mean, you cannot control their perceptions. So many times, I have I have written things, and I have written scenes, and I have written sentences and dialogue that I wrote one way, and I've had readers come back to me with a entirely different interpretation of what I wrote and I'm thinking to myself that is not what I wrote that is not what I intended that is no that is not what I intended and the best example of that is that um I wrote a uh <coughs> a short story that um ended up in a national magazine and um it got um made part of a reading assignment for a local writing class in a university. And because the professor knew I lived in town and she thought it would be cool to include a um, a local writer. <clears throat> Anyways, and the professor had a interpretation of my story that was absolutely not on par with what I intended. And um, one of her students who picked my work for her essay contacted me. She sent me an email saying she was writing an essay on my short story and wanted to know if I could am, answer a few questions so that she could have um, a a deeper perspective on the work. And so she wrote this essay and I got a copy of the essay and I really enjoyed the essay and I thought she was spot on. And the professor failed her because she said the, the student failed to um, understand uh, what the writer was trying to say. And so um, the student contacted me and told me that the professor had failed her, gave her an F on her essay. And so I wrote the professor a note saying, you know, actually your student contacted me and we had a really, you know, huge conversation over coffee about my short story and I read her essay and that was exactly what I intended and the professor was because that's not what she got out of my work at all so she made assumptions based on her own experiences and perceptions about what I meant for my work to be it's it's very subjective so when you're moving through your scene you have to keep that in mind not only are you paying attention to what you're actually saying 
but you have to um, try to account for some of the things that your reader is going to assume. Like that Dumbledore is the evilest wizard ever because he dropped a 15-month-old on a fucking doorstep in the middle of November. Well, not the 1st of November. In the UK. Just how cold was it that night in 1981? You know, we could actually look it up. We could look it up and see how cold it was in that area of Britain on November 1st. Or ever what day it was. It was the first week of November. We can agree on that, right? First or second. or They don't really say in the book what, what day it is. But you assume it's November 1st because it's shortly after the murder of James and Lily. But it doesn't really make a lot of sense. The timeline's a little fucked up. Um, and you don't see him putting any kind of safety measures in place or anything. And you're thinking, oh, my God, this kid could crawl away. He could walk away. I was walking at 13 months. <sighs> really? Now, did J.K. Rowling mean for us to hate him from the very beginning? No. In some respects, Dumbledore is J.K. Rowling's Gandalf. And you're supposed to find him endearing and quirky and he that's not what happens. That is so not what happens. So stray dogs, wild animals, you're absolutely right. What if the next door neighbor had been a creepy pervert? And they kidnapped Harry. Petunia never would have known. Because he didn't even knock on the damn door. Don't get me started. (laughs) I could spend a whole fucking hour just bitching about that. Just bitching about that. But it it, it does bring home a point. I don't believe that J.K. Rowling created these scenes with the idea that we would stop trusting Dumbledore um, and see his manipulations uh, just for what they were and um to see it as something um sinister so when you're looking at your character motivations and you're creating scenes and you're saying and you're trying to figure out why your character is doing this the more vague you are about their intentions and about why they're doing what they're doing the more room you give your reader to assign motivations to your characters that may or may not be true. 1.5 Celsius on average, what's that in Fahrenheit? If somebody could help me out, that'd be great. Because I'm not good at that kind of trans, that conversion stuff without Google. I could Google it, I guess. But um, it's just... It's just something to keep in mind when you are uh, building your scene to uh, 
take into account your character motivations and your character's movement through the scene so that your reader gets the perspective as much as you can. Like I said, you, you can't really control what your reader gets out of your work. That's 35 degrees. It's 35 fucking degrees outside, and he's like the 15-month-old. Oh, what? What? See? I, I got to leave it alone. Uh, I'll have to up my time so I can bitch about this. Anyways, <clears throat> this is the kind of detail you you need to pay attention to in your in your scene. You need to pay attention to the ramifications of your character's actions because it can impact how your reader feels about your character in ways that you do not intend. Remember, where, when, who, and why answer these questions. Structure your scenes like you would a chapter and your book. Each scene has a beginning, middle, and end. Each chapter has a beginning, a middle, and end. This is really easy to do if you limit yourself to three scenes per chapter because you can make your your first scene the beginning and your third, second scene the middle and, of course, your third scene the end of your chapter. And then... Your book has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if you're doing 15 chapters, your first five chapters are your build-up. Your chapters 5 through 14 are your uh, your climax and falling action. And then your last chapter or your last few scenes are your... Are your end. Um, it's really important when you get to the falling action scenes that you slow down. That to keep your scenes fast paced in, in the front of your book, keep your paragraphs short, keep your sentences punchy. Kind of, kind of switch between them. Like do long sentences and short sentences and long sentences. Long sentence slows your reader down. It slows your pace down. A short sentence ramps your reader up and it ramps your pace up. So if you do, you know, a, a whole bunch of short um, sentences in your action scenes, it creates excitement uh, psychologically for your reader. They don't even realize it's happening. It's like a, it's just a little way of in increasing your pace. So when you're moving into the falling action, you want to slow your reader down. You want to slow your characters down so they're talking more. There's um, longer sentences. Don't make your paragraph super long. Don't be that person that creates a wall of text. It's really annoying. Um, just to, to slow you down just a little bit and then just to, until it smooths out into a into a fall and and you've created your falling action and then you have your end but so pacing is really super important in a novel because if you bog your reader down in the beginning um they're going to hate it and not want to continue so really super pay attention to your first scene that is your foundation and it must be solid it must grab your reader and bring them in to your story and keep them there that's why your first sentence has to be boom but don't fall for gimmicks don't be that gimmicky writer that and for fuck's sake 
But do everything you can to avoid a flashback. I'm so serious. Do everything you can to avoid a flashback. Uh, 99% of readers hate them. And about 40% of readers are going to skip them. I'm one of those readers. I will skip a flashback like nobody's business. Oh, look, flashback clicked. No. A better way to keep your reader in the moment and not bog them down with repeated flashbacks is to give your... um, I think that uh, J.D. Rod does it really well in the Eve Dallas series in that... um, Past events that really haunt and bother Eve end up being uh, dreams. And you can relate a lot of information in dreams or in letters or in conversations without resorting to a flashback. It's honestly the worst thing you can do to your book. That's just me. Anyways, I hope this answers your question, Bob, and if it doesn't, uh, feel free to ask some more questions, and I'll be happy to to revisit this topic, because it's really um, a super important topic for, for book construction. You guys have a great evening, and I will see you later.